We read scripture this morning from Psalm 127. Psalm 127. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. We read that far. We take as our text this morning the last two verses. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. May God bless his word to our hearts. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, God's people view their children differently than the world does. Millions of babies are shamelessly aborted every year. Others are abused by families with the result that Children are treated wickedly in home after home. And all over, it seems, there's a great need for foster parents willing to provide a safe haven for children whose parents are not responsible. Parents continue to put their own interests above that of their children. This psalm looks at the blessings, and it looks at the important place of children and the calling that God gives to us as parents. We rejoice this morning in the gift of children, and we rejoice that God provides covenant children not only, but God also gives us beautiful promises, and he gives us clear instruction in his word as to how we're to raise those children in his fear. The doctrine of the covenant, as we are aware, is a great encouragement that God is a God to us and to our seed. God's promise is that God will be with us, but that he will also gather his children from among our children. We know that not all our children are necessarily elect children of God. We train them in such a way that we raise them as such until they would give evidence differently. But the heading of this psalm says a song of degrees for Solomon, or it could read of Solomon. So that either the psalm was written by David for Solomon, a poem that he wrote for his son, or this psalm was written by Solomon. We simply don't know the answer to that. But either way, the psalm expresses good Christian counsel to parents and to children. Now we know both David and Solomon were flawed in so many ways. They had significant sins in their lives as fathers and as Husbands, God gave them by inspiration yet to write his word. We also know that the consequences of sin, they knew. And those consequences were devastating in their own families. 
Now, the theme of this psalm is that we're dependent upon the blessings of God for success. We can't do anything apart from God blessing us. And that's the way the psalm begins. Accept the Lord, build the house. They labor in vain that build it. We acknowledge that though our homes are built by men and women, it's ultimately the Lord's blessing that we stand in need of. We press on, we seek to establish a godly home, but the builder is Jehovah. And he's the one upon whom we are dependent to shape and to mold and to fashion the children that God has given. Our calling is to labor diligently, Our calling is to present them for baptism, to instruct and to train them faithfully. And we look to God for the grace and strength that we need to do so rightly. We take as the theme of this text, children of youth. And we look at three things. First of all, compared with arrows, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man. And so we want to look at how our children are compared with arrows. Secondly, the blessing to their parents. The fact that they are a blessing. And finally, the way in which we glorify God together. Arrows must be carefully fashioned. As arrows we read in the hand of a mighty man, verse 4. God places parents in a position where they are called to craft carefully their children as arrows. Now, we're thankful today we can go into a store for hunters and we can buy arrows that are already made. But think of the days when a hunter had to carefully craft his own arrows. At least four things stood out with regard to that arrow. First of all, there was the shaft, the shaft of the arrow, the stick, we would say. Then there were the feathers that are put on the end so that it flies straight. Then there's the knock on the back so that it fits into the string. And then finally, there's the point of the arrow. Now, all four of those aspects of an arrow are of significance as we make the application now to children. If every aspect of that arrow has careful attention, that arrow then will be an arrow that will shoot straight and will be effective then for the hunter to use for hunting. Now, not only are these four qualities in an arrow, like we said, but let's look at our children and see how our children also are to be compared then with arrows, as the psalm here does. First of all, the shaft of the arrow can be compared with the identity of our children. By nature, our children are crooked. They're full of, so to speak, knots, like a stick that's cut off a tree. One cuts a stick off, and now to try to make that stick into an arrow, you need to straighten it. And there's going to be effort that's going to be expended that way to make sure that that shaft is a straight shaft. If it's crooked, it's not going to fly straight, and it won't accomplish the goals that you have for it with hunting. By nature, our children are crooked. They're depraved by nature. They need to grow up with the understanding of their great need. They need a Savior. They need Jesus Christ. The only possibility to overcome their crooked nature and character is a Savior who delivers them from sin and gives them the grace to know the victory that is in Him. They need to grow up understanding who they are in God's eyes, their relationship to God, their relationship to the world around them. And all of these constitute their character. 
How are they to relate to God? How are they to relate to their parents, to the world about them? Now, in order for their character then to be shaped, they need to be disciplined. Just as a sapling that's growing crooked needs to be staked back in order that it grows straight. And that sapling's going to pull against those straps, and it's not going to want to go straight. So are children. Their character is such that as sinners and sinful, they're going to fight. They're going to object to. They're not going to be content with the way that we're trying to pull them in order that they go. Discipline then, correction are required in order to modify their character. And as we take that up, we realize God is the only one who ultimately can do so. We're tools in his hand, and we feel very astutely our own weakness and our sinfulness in that regard. But after some time, with that little sapling, the ropes can be removed. The stakes can be taken away because now that sapling is growing straight. And what a joy for a parent, disciplining, correcting, praying about the character of their child. And then with time, seeing the marvelous wonder of God's work and seeing how God is at work in the heart of that child, shaping and directing that child so that that child is, as to his or her character, glorifying God, seeking the things of God's kingdom. And so parents do not allow their children just to go whatever way they want. It's necessary that they're directing their children as to their character in the way that they're to go. And this begins young. Not my will, thy will be done. That's the battle that we fight against our old natures our whole life long. And that's the struggle that takes place from early on in parenting as the child finds his or her identity as a child of God, called to glorify God and to serve God, to seek the things of God's kingdom. And as they learn, their life is not about them. It's not about their pursuits and what they want. It's about God and about his will. So that that child finds his or her identity in the blood of Jesus Christ. The wonder of what Jesus did for me. How he saved me from my sins and from my sinfulness. And how he's the one now at work within me, directing my character. So that increasingly, rather than being selfish, pursuing my own will, I desire his will and to give him glory. Without a clear understanding of who and what that child is by nature and by grace... That child's life is going to be wobbly. It's going to be warped. It's not going to fly straight. So first of all, the character as the shaft of the arrow. But secondly, the feathers are necessary to stabilize the flight of the arrow. And we could compare that to the idea here of the child's character. Is that child inclined toward anger? Is that child inclined toward impatience? We identify here the weaknesses and the sinfulnesses that are evident because those are the things that are going to adversely affect the flight of that child. And those are the things that the child will get hung up on and will direct the child then in a wrong way. And so as parents, we address those weaknesses, the selfishness, the anger, the temptations toward impatience, 
How do they respond toward authority? How do they respond toward the circumstances that God places in their life? And we teach them patience. We teach them contentment. And we realize how God is using the influences of their life and God is using that discipline to dictate that character so that they do then go through life as those who are balanced, those who seek the glory of God, those who are able to resist their sinful desires and to do what's right in His sight. Think of the groove at the end of the arrow, the knock that you stick into the string, how important that is and what... Does that really reflect? We could say that reflects, to a large degree, relationships, and especially the relationship between the child and his or her parents. If we compare, as the psalm is doing here, the bow to the parents, the arrows to the children, that arrow needs to be stuck into the string of the bow. And so how important it is for us, as we train up our children, to work on that relationship with their parents and the relationships that they have in life. A good relationship with their parents from early on equips them and strengthens them to understand, to appreciate, and to respond rightly to their parents' instruction and training. None of us are designed to go through life alone. God puts us in relationships and God teaches us to use those relationships rightly. And so from that perspective, we need the comfort, we need the strength, we need the encouragement, we need the resources of others. And from that perspective, as parents, we teach our children the importance of submitting to authority. What is their calling in relationship to us? Honor your parents in the Lord, for this is right. As parents, we don't seek to be their best friends. It may be that God allows that at times, that we can be friends with our children, but more importantly, we're their parents, and we need to demonstrate that relationship. In order for us to talk to our young people, we need relationship with them that begins from early on. My wife and I were struck with the challenge of that when early on in our marriage we became foster parents for a couple teenage kids. All of a sudden, we had teenagers with whom we had no relationship, no foundation on which to build, and how challenging that was for us, and how appreciative we were then for the opportunity with our little ones to teach and to train and to look forward to the day when we would be able to have a relationship and now could build on that as we instructed and taught them in their teenage years. The knock, that aspect of their relationships. Learning how to grow up in a family, how to interact with siblings and with parents, and that serving then them for the future of their lives. Then finally, there's the point of the arrow, and the point of the arrow reminds us of the target. It reminds us of that which is the aim of our life. Everyone needs a reason to live. We need a goal with regard to our lives. The glory of God and a life of service to Jehovah God and to Jesus Christ as Lord must be impressed upon our children. What is the goal of your life? What is that toward which your life is to be aimed? It's to be aimed toward God. 
And even as a warrior would sharpen the point, the tip of the arrow, so that that arrow would fly well and it would be effective on its target, so it is that our children need to be sharp as to the focus of their lives and the reason for their existence. They are here to glorify God. They're here to show forth the praise of God. And they're here to give Him all the honor that is due unto His name. Their life is not about themselves. It's about God. And so from early on, again, sharpening them with regard to that perspective and that focus. So easy it is for us to become soft, blunt with regard to that focus in our lives. And the result then is our children aren't prepared and aren't trained as sharply as they ought with regard to the necessary purpose and the focus of their lives. And we fail so often as parents by our example. We're not showing by our example that clarity of focus and goal. And so our children grow up confused, confused by the instruction, confused by the lack of example perhaps, or confused just by the different vibes that they get. They want to serve God, but they also want as much of this world as possible. And so they want God and mammon. They need to learn uncompromisingly to seek God and His glory. But what do they find out? They find out that if I'm going to live uncompromisingly for God, that's not going to allow me to enjoy so much of life's pleasures and so much of the things of this life. And so from early on then, they compromise. I'm not going to live just for God. I'm not going to be content with God's will. I don't want to seek just what He has set before me. I want to do my, my own will, my own things. Now remember the analogy here. We're in a battle. And that's what the psalmist is using here. Arrows, a bow, mighty men. In the midst of this battle, the situation is militant. And what is it that must be maintained? The antithesis. The antithesis must be maintained sharply. That we say yes to God, we say no to the ways of sin. We must be sharpening our children and we ourselves must be praying for the grace to be sharpened in our uncompromising pursuit of God and His glory. Now the warrior was armed with bows and an arrow to defend his family, to protect his life and to destroy the enemy that threatened him. The bow did no good without arrows. The arrows no good without a bow. And so the arrows had to be carefully fashioned then so that they would fly straight and true. And so the time again that a warrior would put into crafting his bow, crafting his arrows. And the picture here is that of parents now as that bow launching their arrows, their children now, toward the goals of life that they are to pursue. Every child, crooked because of sin, parents, sinful, hours and hours dedicated by an archer to try to prepare his arrows. Hours and hours of working on his bow. And so it is, the picture here of us. Hours spent working on ourselves, our own walk with God. Doing battle against the ways of sin and temptation. Hours spent with regard to our children 
in prayer, pursuing God's way and God's will. Time, effort to train and to teach. And thankful that God gives us means, that he gives us teachers who take our place in the school, carrying on this effort. But realizing at the same time, this is not something that can be performed by a daycare, a preschool, or a school exclusively. This is the calling of parents. And this is the calling that God places upon the shoulders of parents. You have been entrusted now with children. These children are as arrows that need attention, careful crafting. If you're rough with those arrows, they're going to break. Our actions are going to affect our children. They're going to affect our children's outlook on life. Carefulness, patience, love, and then ultimately, prayer. As we realize that this is not something we're capable of doing on our own. This requires God's blessing. Accept the Lord, build the house. They labor in vain that build it. Now these arrows, continuing with this analogy, need to be accurately aimed. The archer doesn't just take the arrow and launch it in some kind of a haphazard manner. He carefully aims his arrow at a target. And that target again being the glory of God and the pathway of obedience. And the more time the archer has spent with his arrows, making sure they're straight, making sure everything is good, the more confidence he's going to have as he puts them in his bow and as he releases them toward the target. So it is as parents, teaching, training, as God gives us opportunity. Now there are times when the children show rebellion early on and there's no turning them away. And we commit the matter to the Lord. And we realize that this is not going to go well. We submit too to God's sovereign good pleasure and way. But so many children in our day are like fish flopping on the shore. They don't have any purpose in life. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what they're called to do. They don't know what to do with their lives. They have no clear goals. They're unsure. And they just flop around. That's not the analogy here. The analogy here is of an arrow. And an arrow really has only one purpose. And that purpose is to be shot or aimed at the target in order that it can take down that wild game, that it can hit the bullseye. Jesus Christ alone is able to give us and our children that focus, that direction in life. And what a wonder that Jehovah God has chosen us to be his own, that he gives us his spirit, and that through the power of Jesus Christ, he gives us to understand who we are, the sacrament of baptism testifying to that. I've taken you and I've washed you. I've cleansed you. And now I've incorporated you into myself so that you belong to me. And your life is to be lived then for me and for my glory. That focus, that purpose, then characterizes the whole of our life of preparation. But also this, the arrow must be confidently released. Not only must the arrow be aimed, it must be released. There's pain in launching arrows. Any of you that have shot a bow know that. My arm was all scarred up for a long time. Because as you let go the string, the string will hit the inside of your arm and can cause 
unspeakable pain. And so you put protection on your arm, realizing the pain that's involved with releasing that string. And while the arrow is made to enjoy the flight that it was prepared for, there's a sting in the heart of the parent as the parent releases that arrow. Will that arrow fly straight? Has that arrow been prepared adequately? Will it be blown off course? Will it be able to make it to the target or is it going to fall short of the target? There's prayer. There's pain. There's agony of a parent. We realize we can't keep those arrows in the quiver forever. There's a temptation to coddle them there, just to keep them in the quiver, tightly tucked in our bosom. But we need to keep in mind, they belong to God. God has a purpose for their lives. And that purpose is going to lead them away from the safety, away from the security of our homes into the world. And so the encouragement of this passage is seen in this. Our children are not such like birds where they just fall out of the nest. The mother bird just throws them out of the nest and hopes now that they can somehow fly. Our children are purposefully trained. They're aimed. They're released. All for the glory of God and the pursuit of his will. And added to that, arrows do no good again without a bow. Children need parents. Parents who are aiming and directing and fashioning them for their life in the midst of this world. The bow here is compared to the man. In Israel, he's called a mighty man. He must launch those arrows, bringing them into battle. A mighty man. The idea there is a mighty warrior. And so the picture again is that of a fierce battle. And the father here is the man of war who now takes up his children who have been carefully prepared and fashioned in order to use them now in the midst of the spiritual battle of this world. And those children are the arrows that are going to make contact with the enemy. They're going to make contact with the devil. They're going to make contact with the wicked. And they're going to be directly involved in this battle. God puts us in a crisis. And that crisis is a crisis in which we are at enmity with the world. That's Genesis 3.15. After the fall, man had put himself in friendship with the world. God comes and gives a promise and he says, No, I'm going to destroy that friendship. I'm going to establish enmity between you, the seed of the woman, and the seed of the serpent. Now that enmity must be maintained. And to maintain that enmity is to love God. The temptation is, of course, to eliminate that enmity. And that's what the world is trying to do, break down that enmity. To act as though we don't hate the church, we don't hate God's children. God says, no, there is an enmity here. There's a hatred between the seed of the serpent, the devil, and his seed, and God, and his seed. And to maintain that enmity and to live according to it is to love God. In other words, hate the world and the things that are in the world as that pertains now to sin and sinfulness. The world is trying compromise. The way of blessing is not compromise. The way of blessing is maintaining God's way and God's will. 
teaching our children the importance of that antithetical life. You're in the midst of a world that by nature, that world hates you and that world is seeking your destruction. And you can't then love the world. You can't compromise with regard to them. You need to love God and you need to maintain God's will and God's way at all costs. Now we stand before this as parents and we would despair. But again, we look to God and His grace. We are forgiven, forgiven our sins by which we have been bad examples, forgiven the sins by which we've not crafted and we've not cared for our children, we've not taken the time to develop the relationship that we ought. We repent, we turn from those sins, and we look to God for His grace and for strength. And we confess all our labor is in vain apart from God's blessing. And so we pray. We are men and women of prayer as we commit this way to the Lord. But secondly, the text talks about children blessing their parents. And it talks about the place of the children as a blessing to their parents. And we want to look at that also this morning. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them, we read in verse 5. Children are set forth in this psalm as those whom God uses to grace, to maintain the cause of their parents, to defend them, to protect them from the enemy. These children are not deserved, they're not earned by the parents. They're a gift from God. And that emphasis comes out. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. They're freely given. And the psalm stresses that. God, according to his goodness, freely gives the gift of children to covenant parents. Now that doesn't minimize the fact that God makes use of means. He uses conception. He uses the development of that child. God uses adoption to give children to other godly parents. But strikingly, when speaking of children as a reward, the psalm adds they're the fruit of the womb. That is the process of conception, the development that takes place within the womb. All of this is entirely dependent upon God and upon God's blessing. And we don't take anything for granted as we realize God alone is able to cause conception. God alone is able to make that embryo grow within the womb. God alone is able to maintain that embryo until birth. God is sovereign over all the aspects of conception and childbearing. So at every stage is a wonder of grace. It's a marvelous wonder by which God causes that little one to continue to grow. And we confess with regard to adoption that that too must be prayerfully pursued. And we see God's hand at times marvelously and wondrously coming together in order to provide these children as a gift to these parents. Not merely seeking to satisfy personal desires, but praying And leaving the matter open to God and trusting that God is the one also who gives children through this method. There are some parents who choose not to have children. Those parents go through life robbed of God's blessing, unarmed for the spiritual battle in which God places them. Sinfully often they choose pleasures, they choose entertainment above the things of God and above the things of God's glory. They're warriors with no arrows in the midst of the battle. Now, whether or not parents 
have children can be controlled to an extent through birth control. God gives the gift of sexual intimacy, we realize, for more than just having children. God gives this gift for the intimacy in marriage, for the intimacy of that covenant life that God has given us, one with another. He allows husbands and wives in that way to enjoy something that is not shared with anyone else in their life. And there's a place for abstinence. There's a place at times for birth control in the life of the covenant family. Christian couples never take that lightly. They pray for wisdom. They look to God for direction at times. And they know God is going to judge us if we make decisions based on selfishness, based on selfish motives. God will withhold blessings, including children. God will give those over to their selfish pursuits who are acting selfishly in this regard. And so we trust in God. We pray and we pray that God will make clear at times difficult struggles and difficult questions that we have. Knowing that and confessing God is sovereign over every area of our life, including this one. So often often in our day and age, individuals will confess God's sovereignty over salvation, but then when it comes to other aspects of their lives, no, I'm in charge of that. We acknowledge God is the one who's sovereign in every area of our life. And we submit our way and our will to him. He knows how many children are necessary for our quiver to be filled. He knows how many children we need to prepare us for our place in glory. He knows how many children need to be born in order that they might constitute that innumerable throng that has to be born before our Lord Jesus Christ will come back again. And he promises to take care of us. He'll supply our financial, physical, our emotional needs. He promises that he'll give us what we need to be faithful as parents. Now, there are also individuals and couples to whom God does not give children or God does not give spouses to individuals. Those individuals pray for a spouse if God so wills. And they have to learn patiently to wait upon God. They learn to see the blessedness that God has ordained with regard to a more simple life, a single life. And they seek to be a blessing yet to the families of the church, to the congregation, even to the schools, in ways that promote the glory and the honor of God. We're thankful for godly uncles, godly aunts, who come aside us as nephews, as nieces, as members of the church, encouraging us to persevere, and that they themselves persevere in that unique role that God has given them. Difficult, though, at times. Where God doesn't give children to parents, they also learn to lean on God's goodness, on God's mercy, and to know that God is the one who also gives them opportunity to use their lives in manners that others would not have the ability to do. And they, too, are involved yet in the life of the congregation, in the life of their families. And their lives make it so much more necessary and important that they live in connection with the church. And they realize, too, the blessedness of the family of the church and the care for them and look forward, too, for the church caring for them in their old age. And as a congregation, we look out for those who are in such a situation. For believers... All children are a reward. They're a blessing from God. And that's the emphasis of this psalm. 
They're a heritage of the Lord. They're his reward. Now, that doesn't mean that every last one of them is going to be an elect child of God. Some may be rebellious. They may cause us untold grief and sorrow. And yet, our confession must be these two were a blessing to us. The psalm here is speaking of the children, all the children that God gives to covenant parents. They serve as a blessing in so many ways, driving us to our knees in prayer, forcing us as husbands and wives better to work together in this area of our life. They cause us to grow in our application of God's word to our lives. They cause us to be more consistent in our walk and in our life. They cause us more effectively to labor together for the glory of God as a husband and a wife. So many different ways we could identify that children are used by God for the good of parents. But we realize a man's life does not consist in the abundance of children. Many who have had an abundance of children confess the pain, the sorrow, the heartaches that characterized the whole of their lives. That was the confession of David as the sword never departed from his family and he had heartache after heartache among his children and among his grandchildren. All men who have children, however, will not be blessed. This is a particular blessing for those who are God's children, those who are his people. To the wicked, those children become a curse. They become a noose, really, around their neck. They don't receive them with thankfulness from God. They don't train them in the way that they ought go. And therefore, God holds them all the more accountable for what they did or did not do. And wicked parents will stand before God for how they abused, how they misused, how they treated their children in the day of judgment. And openly often, to their shame, ungodly couples confess that. They admit they really don't want their children. They practice it by killing them, by abusing them. We as God's children receive these gifts from the Lord. And we thank God for them. And there's a blessing that our children perform without even our realizing it. And that comes out here in the psalm, in the reference in verse 4 again to that mighty man. Parents are as mighty men, mighty women. Now the word is used to refer to those who are outstanding, powerful warriors. And it's primarily used often in that physical sense. But here the psalm uses it in that spiritual sense. One who loves the Lord, who is a warrior on behalf of God and seeking his glory. One who is a mighty man, taking the word of God now and seeking to live according to it and seeking to pursue God's will. God makes men and women, mighty men and women, in the way of children and raising children. He causes them through the trials, through the prayers, to become more dependent upon Him and upon His Word. He matures them as they rely on His grace for everything they have, for all that they need. He humbles us as we realize we can't take any pride in our families. God is the one alone upon whom we are dependent for His goodness and for His grace. The father, the mother, who takes seriously their calling See that blessing. And that blessing doesn't come from 
a husband, a father working late hours every night and not spending time with his children. It comes from interacting with his children. It comes from working with them, developing that relationship, sharpening them, honing them, encouraging them so that they see who they are and the wonder of God's grace in their lives, shaping them, disciplining them, spending time with them as a warrior crafting arrows upon which he is dependent for the battle. And those children then are presented here in this psalm as protecting, providing for their parents. Arrows are used for protection. So the children are essential for the protection, the welfare of their parents as their parents age, as they grow older. And as the parents grow older, they're dependent on their children in a whole lot larger degree. Godly children don't forsake their parents, don't forsake their mother and their father. They're there for them. And so they get an education, they get a good job also for that purpose so that they can take care of their parents if necessary. Take them in their homes if they have that opportunity. Visit with them often. Meet their needs. As they grow older and as they're plagued with the struggles and the challenges of old age and dying, the children are there now to encourage their parents to see the focus of their lives, to know the hope that is in Jesus Christ and to press on toward that glorious goal of salvation in Him alone. As our parents lose their spouses and now are alone, how desperate the need is there that we need to be there for them, encouraging them, giving them the strength that they need as they live in the midst of this life now alone. The psalmist here gives specific instances of how the children protect the parents when it talks about the gate. The gate is where the judges would sit, and it's where enemies might come with accusations against people. They would resolve them, the judges would, these matters that were brought to their attention. And the picture here is that when enemies are coming against their parents, the children are there boldly to defend the cause of their parents and to support and to encourage their parents. Whether it be the devil as an enemy, whether it be others, what a blessing then that God provides through children. But ultimately, our goal is to glorify God. As arrows go forth into this world, we go forth to testify that Jehovah, He is God. We go forth to testify, this God is my God. And I delight in Him. Unashamedly, I live unto Him. And I live for His glory. Bold witnesses concerning who we are and our relationship to God. And that's our calling, sharpened by God and by His Word and by His Spirit to show forth His praise in everything that we take up. And so we testify the fact that Jehovah God, He's the creator of heaven and earth. We testify that Jehovah God, He created all things in six days by a wonder. We testify that Jehovah is the God of the Sabbath. Why is it that we desire to keep this day? Because of Him. Because of our obligation and our privilege to worship Him and to glorify Him. We confess that God is good in all His works and ways. And though we confess that through sorrow, through tears, as we witness and as we go about in this world, we testify to others, God is good. The way is difficult at times, the way is hard, but God is good. He is faithful and He's the one 
who will continue to preserve and to keep his own. He's holding me with his everlasting arms. He's giving me the strength I need to press on. We confess God is holy, holy in all his works and ways. That God hates wickedness and he hates sin. He's angry with the wicked every day, according to Psalm 7, verse 11. But the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. We confess the judge is coming again. And even as Noah warned, there's a judgment to come. So God gives us boldness and he prepares our children too to be willing to warn the world in which we live. God is judge. He's coming again. And that judgment is going to bring about the destruction of those who continue to pursue their own will and their own paths. As God's children, we're not swayed by the mockery of the world. The world is going to mock. They're going to laugh. We fly straight by God's grace to the glory of God and pursuing His will and His way. And He gives us His Spirit to comfort us, to encourage us, and to give us the strength to walk faithfully. That blessing is found in terms of speaking. And it's striking that the psalm states that at the end of verse 5, they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. That we speak. And as we go forth in the midst of this world, we testify to those around us concerning that hope and that joy that is ours. Though I'm a sinner, totally depraved of myself, Jesus Christ has washed me. He's cleansed me. I know the reality of which my baptism was a picture. And he's taken me and he's united me to himself so that I have purpose in life. My life is about him. It's about his glory. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. That's the conclusion of the matter according to Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13. Repeated in the New Testament. Verses 74 and 75 of Luke 1, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of our lives. Think of Ephesians 1, 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God crafting us by his grace, and teaching us the aim and the purpose of our lives, that we are to live unto him. We're to show forth his praise. And our confession then, in the midst of this battle, this fierce battle of faith, I look to him. And I know my security because he's the one that preserves and keeps me. And he's the one who gives me his word and his spirit. And he's the one by whom and through whom I press on then unto his glory. May that be our encouragement to as parents and as children and young people. May we press on as those who know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the wonder of his work on our behalf. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank and we praise thee for thy work of grace in our lives, giving us parents and grandparents who took time to teach and to train us giving unto us homes where thy word and prayer were central, giving unto us the grace and the strength necessary by which we might 
go forward in the midst of this world, knowing and believing our place and our purpose. And when the devil and the world tempt us, grant that we might know the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ, that he who is King and Lord is the one who washed me, who cleansed me, and from whom nothing can separate me from his love. Strengthen us and bless us, for Jesus' sake, amen.